Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you today. And uh, God willing, next Sunday as well, to share God's word with you. My purpose will be to lift up the person of Christ and to exalt him and that we might keep our focus upon the Lord Jesus. It's great that we had communion this morning. By the way, how did you get these seats this morning? You paid extra? I don't think so. This is the Baptist church. You pay extra for those back there, right? Right. Anyway, would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 6. John's Gospel, chapter 6. Very familiar story, miracle that we're going to look upon this morning. I'd like to read beginning from verse 1 and reading to the end of verse uh, 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two, two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their full, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let's pray together. Now, Spirit of God, would you take the word of God and bless the people of God, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the lesson of the lunch in John chapter 6 in this context of verses, it's the one miracle that all four gospel writers took the time of day to record for us. And uh, there are some important lessons here. If uh, each of the writers took time of day to record it, then we should give attention to it. So the next slide, <coughs> Jesus is available to meet our most basic needs. He's very simply telling us throughout the Gospel of John, this is one of Jesus' purposes. And so 
in John chapter 4, you recall that uh, Jesus sat with a woman beside a well. He said to her, I'm the living water. If you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. And then here he feeds a crowd and he says, I'm the bread of life. Bread and water, two very basic things. And uh, in the first part of this chapter, he explains that the bread of life <clears throat> is who he is. And then after the storm and Jesus walking on the water, he explains how he's the bread of life for us. Now this chapter starts like many others in the New Testament, very plainly after this or sometime after this. But in reality, it's a long time after this. So to get some context, if you go back to chapter 5 and the last miracle that is performed, the healing of the man beside the pool, and the occurrence of this miracle in chapter 6, much of Jesus' Galilean ministry is contained there. Now for some reason, John doesn't record all of that. It's not his purpose. His purpose is to lift up Christ, present him in such a way of the signs and, and uh, truths about Jesus that we would understand them. If you want to get uh, the fuller context, then you need to read Luke 6 to 9 or Mark's Gospel chapter 3 uh, to chapter 6. Luke is much more chronological in order. And so if you're... Uh, a detailed person, read Luke. But these opening verses, verses 1 to 4, often get skipped because we want to get to the heart of the miracle. We want to know what is it that really happened here and get the truth of it for our lives. But the setting is very important. It's not just... Uh, as we would say, we watch a news program and there are, are two talking heads there. Often they will be on location. Gas prices are high, so they're at a gas station with the price at the pumps in the background. Or if a rocket is launching, they're in, in uh, Cape Canaveral in the background and you see, you know, all of this. And, and so it's more than just talking heads. The setting is very important for us. So let me give you a few things that help build the context of this miracle taking place. We learn from the other gospels that Jesus and his disciples got into a boat to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They had just finished their first preaching assignment. Wow. Well, you have to let that sink in for a moment. If any of you have been asked to share God's word it's an exhilarating but exhausting experience. The emotions, I'll tell you, they go from, from uh, zero to 60 in like no time. And uh, you take everything that you know in the Bible, you try and condense it down, and then you get up there and you, you do your thing, and after about five minutes you're done, and wow, it can be kind of depressing. <laughs> They've just finished their first preaching assignment. Well, notice Jesus is weary because it says that he's been doing this healing ministry, healing people who were sick. 
Matthew 9 tells us that Jesus, when he looked at the crowds, was filled with compassion because they were as people who were harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd. Jesus has also learned some news just as he's getting into this boat. He learned that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. So he needs to consider all of that. This really is a retreat for Jesus and the disciples. They want to get away. They're going to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, up onto a mountainside, just to rest after this first preaching assignment, to to process this news about John the Baptist. And then John also adds, oh, by the way, the Passover feast is near. It was a very special time. It was a time of remembering God's deliverance from Egypt. It was uh, a time when they recalled the great miracles that God had performed. It was a time of celebration and eating. I suppose much like our Thanksgiving time. And uh, so they get into the boat with all of these things kind of rolling around uh, in their brains. Now we know this was the Sea of Galilee, and if you visited Israel, you know it's not like a huge ocean. It's a large body of water. But as, the, as Jesus and his disciples are in the boat in the middle of the lake, you could see them in the middle of the lake. And so crowds that had been uh, amazed at Jesus' healing ministry began to follow around the perimeter of the Sea of Galilee where the boat was going. Jesus and his disciples are retreating on this mountainside and the crowds are gathering. They're they're coming more and more. Jesus lifts up his eyes and says, whoa, there's a large crowd of people here. So what I, I want you to understand this morning is Very simply, this miracle started as an unwelcome interruption into this time of rest and retreat for Jesus and his disciples. But isn't life just like that? It's filled with these unwelcome interruptions. I read about a man that was uh, enjoying his newly installed swimming pool in his yard when he had an unwelcome interruption, a a bug was in his pool. You say, a bug? Well, it happened to be a Volkswagen bug. (laughs) It had gone through a stop sign, it had gone through a fence, and ended up into his pool. It was an unwelcome interruption into his enjoyment. And this story teaches me, it teaches us that These interruptions are really appointments from God, and God wants to do something very special with what we think are our interruptions. When I was 16 years old, I um, grew up in a a very rural setting, a very small, small uh, town, southwestern Ontario. I had my license. I had a job. Um... Life was good. I mean, you say, well, what's so big about having your license? Growing up in a rural setting, small town, having some independence was a big deal. I was playing baseball, and um, 
very uh, fortunate to be on this uh, team. And it so happened at a practice one night that the baseball hit me in the eye, collapsed my eyeball, and uh, there I was in hospital for a week with patches over both eyes so there wouldn't be a strain on, on the other one. It was, a, it was an unwelcome interruption. I just thought I had the world by the tail. Job, you know, all these things that I wanted to do. And so the big question for me was, why, God? Why, why is this happening? And during that time when I had no sight was really a, a, a starting block for me to begin to realize that God was giving me sight. It was as though the Lord had said, I've done so much for you, Dan. What, uh, what are you prepared to do for me? And at that point, as a young man, I determined, Lord, I, I want to follow you. I want to follow you more closely. I, I will commit to, well, it wasn't a big commitment, but I, I said, I'll go to Bible college for one year. And the rest is history. History. But it all started with that unwelcome interruption. When I was 29 years of age, my dad passed away. I thought, Lord, why? It was like an unwelcome interruption. I was pastoring a church at the time. We had young kids. I just thought, Lord, like... The Lord had, had provided for us in so many ways and building program with the church. And it was just like, I'd really like my dad to see all that stuff. What? That was an unwelcome interruption. The Lord knows best. Well, let's get to the lessons of this miracle. The next, the, the next slide uh, tells us, um, it's the, the first lesson is the lesson of the measuring tape. The measuring tape. And so I ask you this morning, how do you measure, measure obstacles or problems that come into your experience? We're taught here not to measure a problem or a challenge according to our own Ability. The next slide. You see, often God puts us into these situations, into these challenging circumstances to test us, to test our faith. And really, you've heard this before, but faith is like a muscle that needs to be exercised. It needs to grow in strength. And maybe that's what you're finding this morning. God's put you in a, in a situation where you're being stretched. Well, I wonder why our Lord loves these impossible situations so much. I believe it's so that he can reveal what he can do in and through our lives. If we were never tested, if we never st stretched that faith muscle we would never discover just who he is and trust him with those things in our lives. So he puts us, I believe, in these situations to 
Firstly, stretch our undeveloped faith. It needs to grow. I could tell you over and over and over again, as God has led in my experience, as he has pushed me out into ministry experience, there have been the times when I've had to say, Lord, um, I, I don't have the means to do this. I can't do this. You must do this. That's where we grow. In fact, when I was asked to um, take leadership of the International Relief Department, I, um, I'll just tell you, if your motivation is compassion and you want to see the needs of the world met, you'll get crushed by all the needs of the world. But if you'll respond and say, Lord, you have the ability to meet these needs, I'll follow your leading. I'll trust you. That's a better situation. So to stretch our undeveloped faith, secondly, to strengthen our eternal hope. I don't know about you, but during the days of COVID, these have been days when I've had to just say, Lord, thank you that there's a home in heaven. Thank you that I'm going to be with you one day. Relationship with you is most important during these days. I hope you've made the most of the COVID days to deepen your relationship with him. And then thirdly, he puts us in these situations to show us his incredible love. He loves us. You say, sure. <laughs> Doesn't feel that way in this situation. Just wait. He already has in mind what he's going to do. Now look closely at verse 7. Here's the question. Philip, come here. Where? That's the question. Where shall we buy bread enough for these people to eat? He wants to test him. Does that trouble you hearing that? The text of Scripture saying Jesus wanted to test him. It's a good thing. Any school teachers here? A test is really to show what we know, not what we don't know. It's not all those blanks that you didn't get filled in properly. It's to show what you know. That's really what Jesus is doing with Philip here. He knows what he's going to do. And you notice Philip responds, eight months wages or 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. You notice that Jesus asks one question and Philip answers sort of another question. Isn't it a bit weird? Jesus says, where? And Philip's answer is, well, how much it's going to cost? It's an important switch. Where should we buy bread to have enough? The right answer probably would have been something like, well, Lord, we were with you in Cana of Galilee, and like when the wine ran out, you just multiplied, you blessed the water, and there was all kinds of wine. 
you know, maybe it was something like, well, Lord, there's no McDonald's, there's no 7-Elevens here, so I don't know, we should turn to you. Well, Philip says, I don't know. Why are you asking me, Lord? I, I don't have enough money. We don't have enough money. We can't do it, was his response. It's a great story of faith starts here. It's a, th- it's a very simple thing. If we respond and say, Lord, I'm coming to you. I can't. I don't have enough. I'm coming to you. You see, when you and I learn this lesson about how to measure things, it dramatically reduces the anxiety in our lives. Don't know, Lord, but I'll turn to you. Don't know, but I'll turn to you. So this is just the first lesson in this this miracle. But there's another disciple in this story named Andrew. Look at verse 8. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? The next slide shows the second lesson. It's the weigh scale lesson. How do you weigh things? How do you weigh an opportunity that's put in your path? How do you weigh an obstacle that you're facing? And so what we learn in this miracle is that little becomes much in the hands of Jesus. Little can become much in our Lord's hands. Now, it's interesting to look at Philip and Andrew. They have totally different perspectives on this problem, but they both end up at the same place. They both say, it's impossible. Maybe that's what happens when you get around other believers, and could it be that that's often how we respond in a church setting? No, we can't do it. No. No, it would take too much too much money to do that. No, it's, uh, it's not going to be able to be done, Lord. So you look at a problem from every human angle possible and you still don't see it the way that the Lord sees it. I've gotten lots of human advice and I've looked at it from every angle and forgot to look at it from his angle the one who's all-powerful. Andrew's a very interesting guy here. He's a lot like you and like me, and Andrew falls one sentence short of great faith. He brings this little boy to the Lord, and he says, here's a little lad. He's got five small barley loaves. He's got two small fish. That's his lunch. There should have been a period right there. He should have shut his mouth. But he goes on. But how far can this go among so many? Instead of just saying, Lord, here's the little that we've come up with. Please do something. The next slide really helps us to understand that 
there are uh, two life-changing questions or life-challenging uh, questions that we need to look at here. When you look at Philip, you have to ask yourself the question, what have I decided in my life that is too big for God to accomplish? When you look at uh, Andrew, here's another question. What have I decided in my life or in myself is too little for God to work with? Maybe it's ministry that he's nudging you towards. Uh, maybe it's your family and, you know, you know, a big mountain in front of you about your, your kids and how they're... Um, responding to your leadership and so on, or it's your marriage, or it's your financial picture, whatever it is, you're saying, Lord, it's too big. Don't have enough. It's impossible. Maybe your experience has gone something like this. Have you ever found yourself saying, one day, one day when I have more time, one day when I have more energy, I'll spend more time with the kids. One day when I have more money, I'm going to be so generous. Can I just tell you a little secret that I've learned? You're never going to have enough. You're never going to have enough. You say, well, that's sort of depressing. We'll never have enough because just to do in our own energy, it's the lesson of this parable, this miracle, is, is that the needs are too great and our resources are too small. And so you start with the little that you have. And you're available and you're willing and you give it to Jesus. And so this little boy comes Andrew's with him, and he says, I, here, here are the, is my lunch. My mom packed it for me. Start with what you have and watch what Jesus can do. It's incredible. But there's something interesting here. Maybe you've proven this in your life. It's, it's sort of a... a, a a series or a, a system that operates in these situations. It's a pattern, I suppose. You learn this pattern here and from other stories that, first of all, God reduces our resources. I don't like it, but it happens. It could be a sense of en uh, your, your, your energy. It could be your, your financial resources that are reduced. He reduces our resources in order to magnify his power and to magnify himself. Then he magnifies our need. Who asked about the food first? It was Jesus. Why didn't he just sort of keep quiet about it? Andrew starts going around, do you have any food? Do you have any food? Anyone got food? And the people are getting more and more hungry. You know, you start talking about food. 
you start thinking, wow, yeah, it is sort of getting close to lunchtime, so, and your tummy starts to growl, and you lick your lips, and that's what was happening. They're talking about food. Well, here's the point of faith. It's a crucial point in your life and in my life. Whether it was David and Goliath or Moses, it's this little boy with the lunch. What we do is we wait for somebody who has enough to meet the need. Well, that wasn't the case here, was it? Many times, people get laughed at with the little. You remember David and Goliath? David got laughed at. Maybe that's your situation. In this case, it was a little boy. Do you think people started to snicker when he came up with this little lunch for a crowd of people that many? But the amazing thing is we don't even know this little boy's name. It's the anonymous people that God uses all throughout the Bible and throughout history and and in our lives where he shows his power. Someone trusts God with the little that they have, and here's the crucial point of faith, uh, taking the impossible and seeing God work it. And the final thing that happens is God uses the little that we have, and he says, this is how great I am. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, have the people sit down. The Bible gives a picture here. Um, it was uh, a, a grassy uh, place on this mountainside. And uh, the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. So, you know, added up with wives, with children. This isn't the feeding of the 5,000. It's, it's many more. So it magnifies the fact that, wow, they, they really didn't have much. But they gave it to Jesus. The word sit down here in, in the original language means to recline. Kind of back on an elbow. And so they're reclining. And as they're reclining, they're anticipating, we're going to get some food. If you and I want to be involved in Jesus' miraculous work, we have to put ourselves into situations of anticipation sometimes. That's tough. Do you know why it's, it's hard? It's because we don't want to be disappointed. If you've been to prayer meetings enough times, you'll kind of know how it goes. Lord, we, we know you could heal this person, but if it's not your will, um, we make excuses for them. We don't want to be disappointed. If it doesn't happen, you, you, you know, well, we're just kind of helping you out there, Lord. So there's this big crowd They're anticipating, they're reclining, they look at what Jesus does, and in verse 11 it says, he took the loaves and he gave thanks. Now, can you just imagine for a minute? 
It's kind of like that Christmas gathering when Uncle Walter comes over and he can eat like a horse and you're like, oh man, we didn't have enough potatoes in the pot and you're giving thanks for the meal and just saying, Lord, please, that there be enough. And he gives thanks. And he starts to break the bread. And the Bible tells us he distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did this the same with the fish. When Jesus prays, he teaches us instead of complaining what we don't, and, uh, about what we don't have, we learn to thank God for what we do have and watch what he does. That's amazing. Mark gives us a little more insight exactly as to what happened in this miracle. He says, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave some of the loaves and the fish to each of the disciples to give, uh, uh, to place before the people. And so he worked this miracle through the hands of the disciples. He multiplied the bread and the fish, but he worked it through the hands of his disciples. How incredibly blessed we are to be part of God's calling and to be used of the Lord to feed other people. I love this miracle. It's so simple. Jesus divided it in his hands. He, he handed it to his disciples. They handed it to the people. They ate. There's nothing spectacular. With Jesus, it was supernatural. He didn't have to be spectacular. And so you notice what happens. When he fed the people, he says that, <clears throat> that were gathered there, that they had as much as they wanted. You know what it's like when you're at someone's house and you look at the bowl of peas and it's like, whoa, that's for all of us? And so you go, oh no, I couldn't really. No, I couldn't have any more. I am so full. And you're thinking of stopping at McDonald's on the way home, right? It says the people ate to their fill. They were filled to the brim. Notice what happens. When the people <clears throat> were fed, it says they gathered... Um, up all of the fragments. When Philip had calculated that it would take eight months' wages for people just to have a little bite, Jesus did it so that they would have more than they needed. They were filled. That's the difference between human power and God's power. With human power, we sort of squeeze by. With God's power, there's abundance. Abundance. Well, let's look at the third lesson. The next slide tells us it's the lesson of the calculator. So we've had the lesson of the measuring tape, how we measure obstacles. It's the lesson of the weigh scales, how we actually weigh opportunities or challenges. Here's the lesson of the calculator. Look at verse 12. When they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Wow. Let nothing be wasted. 
So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. This is the lesson of the calculator. Or for those of you that work with spreadsheets, it's the spreadsheet lesson. When these things come into our lives, these challenges, these, these problems, they're father-filtered. They're sent for a purpose. He's testing us. He knows what he's going to do. He, he's sending it to strengthen our faith. He wouldn't send it to destroy us. He sends it to bring an increase. So take an impossible situation with an omnipotent God equals abundance, increase. Those of you that have worked with spreadsheets in the past, you recall in the early days you'd, you'd put in all the numbers and, and, uh, and, and you know, you didn't always, uh, you weren't able to, to calculate them. Computers didn't have enough memory at that time and so you'd, you'd have to recalculate or the early days of the calculator, you, you, they didn't have enough memory, so you'd be putting all these numbers in. You go, oh, my goodness, that's not right. But now they have enough memory, and so you just press the calculate button. Increase. Increase. We don't have much memory when it comes to the work of God. And somewhere... In our brains, we have to push the recalculate button. Boom. It happens. That's what God does. When I face a problem in my life, God can bring incredible increase. Well, come down to uh, verses 14 and 15 with me. I, I'd like to say that the story ends well, but it doesn't. You see, after this great miracle, the people that were there and had eaten to the full, they said, surely this is the prophet. Let's make him king was their idea. And so, you know, get this picture in your mind. They're going to take him to Jerusalem. They, they're going to overthrow the Roman Empire. You're going to be our, our, our king, Jesus, whether you like it or not. And so Jesus knows all this. He reads their minds. He, he withdrew again, it says, into the hills by himself. I'd like to say that the disciples, you know, they were the ones that got what happened here right. But they didn't. Now, chapter 6 of John is 71 verses. So, you know... Um, You've got some home assignment this afternoon. But you need to look at the storm on the lake. Because as they got into the boat to go to Capernaum, something happened. You know, the storm arose. They were scared out of their wits. And Jesus walks on the water. Keeps them safe. I'd like to say that they got it better, but Mark reminds us 
in chapter 6, verse 51 and 52, he says, After this great miracle, they climbed into the boat. Jesus climbed into the boat with them. They were scared of the storm and the winds dropped. They were scared out of their wits. They had not had the sense to learn the lesson of this miracle. And so the next slide helps us to understand there are really two truths that we need to act upon as we, as we look at this this morning. First of all, how Jesus works. And secondly, who he is. Let's get the lesson this morning. How Jesus works, how he does things in our lives can bring incredible peace into my experience. Sometimes our greatest fears are impossible circumstances. And we say, God, here it is. And so these miracles have taught us, um, <clears throat> at least in this situation, he reduces our resources. He magnifies our need. But don't, don't be surprised at what's happening. It happens to all of us. It's not that we don't have enough faith. It's that we don't have enough resources. And God wants to develop our faith. And so we start to figure out how God works and the ways of God in, in uh, the lives of his people. Well, how does that, that really change the way that I'm going to act this week? How, how is that going to impact how I look upon the situation that God has dropped into my lap? Well, the other thing that we need to learn as we look at this story and this miracle is who Jesus really is. That's the important lesson. You see, if you don't know who he is, how can you trust the way of your life to him? If you don't know who he really is, how can you say, Lord, this is just another situation where you're going to prove yourself great? And we go back to those two questions by Philip and Andrew. They're really key to what we've talked about this morning. Philip was the one who thought there was just too big of a need. Andrew was the one who thought there were too little resources. I'd like you to think about the situation that is in front of you. You're going to be facing this week. Are you going to come at it and say, I, I don't have enough? And you're going to wring your hands and bite your nails and just, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Or can you turn and say, Lord, this is the little that I have to offer. Would you bring an increase? And so he can use us in the miraculous way that he wants to glorify himself, to use these very problems that frighten us, these very situations that disturb us to work out his mighty, mighty plan in our lives. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord, as we consider what's come across our path 
maybe recently, or is yet to come even today. Lord, help us to see who you are in all of your greatness. Lord, help us to understand how you work to magnify our need to reduce our resources so that we can trust you completely. Lord, I pray that um, for individuals bowed in your presence that uh, maybe some will in their heart of hearts be saying, Lord, I, I would love to be used by you, but uh, I need to come to you first of all. I need to give my heart to you. Maybe for some here this morning, it's a matter of trusting you more deeply. And, and so, Lord, I want to do that today. And collectively as a church family, with a new pastor coming. Lord, what does that mean for us in the days to come? Father, I pray that you would guide, you would provide the wisdom that we need to act in the ways that will be pleased that we decided when we one day stand before you. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this miracle and for teaching us today from your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.